You are listening to audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church on the corner of Ebenezer Baptist and Pleasant Green Road. If you would like to learn more about our church, please go to ebcconnect.org. Now, here's our pastor with this week's sermon. What does life look like? We're conditioned to actually look for life, aren't we? How many of you, up until recently, because we get to see it now, but, but there was a point in the winter where you said, I am ready for something to change. Like, I'm ready for brown to be gone and green to come in, right? And so you get to this place where you start looking for that, and we see outside just all these signs of life. It'd be budding trees and flowers and pollen. And we do the same thing for other areas of life, like um, sports teams. They can be dead in the water, right? Or they can be on top of their game. We even say that about individuals. We say they are this age and they're like at the end of their life cycle physically with regard to their sport or they're just beginning and they've got all this life and they're learning. So we could do it. We could talk about that. We could talk about religious experiences. You go into a church, whether it's this church or another church, you walk in and you almost immediately know this is a place that is friendly and warm or it is dead and cold. You've been in those places. And so you've got, you can value or, or take a look at the value of religious experiences. And we do the same thing with people. We can look at somebody and say, she or he is so alive. It just seems they're bubbling with, with all this energy and life. And then you'll meet somebody else and you'll think, they ought to get a personality. And Deb and I had that discussion yesterday. We went to the store and ran across people of both kinds. We said, this, well, you know, for one person, we were like, this is not your career path. And so we, we kind of evaluate that. And today we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, and really there is no resurrection without recognizing that there is death. And death is hard. If you've um, experienced death in your family or somebody close to you, you know it's just hard. And I've been either, I've been separated physically from some experiences of death, like I had, I've had two coaches, friend, two coaching friends that have passed away within the last two years, where we coach baseball together, and, and they're they're not here. I've had former students in my in youth ministry that are no longer around. They passed away, but but they were separated by distance from me. But there there were ones that were a little closer. My parents, for instance, when my mom passed away, I was in the room. That's a difficult place to be. And some of you have experienced that where you, you are in that space and you have to make a decision. And out of that decision comes this inevitable death, this, this ceasing of life as we know it here on this earth. And it's hard. And Easter often reminds us of those times. It remind us, reminds us of death, and, and sometimes we kind of mourn during this season, even though it's a celebration of life. We look at it and we think, this person's not here this year. And it's hard. It's just a difficult season to go through because there's a sense of grief 
And at the same time, you just kind of want to have that sense of celebration because it's supposed to be a time of celebration in life. In any case, maybe in every case, determining whether there is life or death is, is figured out by checking the pulse. So here's what I want you to do. And we're going to check it again in a few moments. But what I want you to do, I want you to check your pulse. Just go ahead. Yeah, okay, you can do, yeah, that's, that's here, here. I guess there's some other spots. I don't know what they are. Is everybody here alive? How many of you are alive this morning? I'm looking to see if there's any hands down. We're going to get, get you some immediate help. Yeah, everybody in here, is, as far as we know, as far as we can tell, just looking at you, you look alive. And we, we determine that, you determine that by pulse. Like if you were to fall out right now, first thing we'd go over and do is we would check to make sure you had a pulse. We would, we would see. And as we look at God's Word, we understand that even God looks at this from two different spots. He looks at it from two different angles. There's the physical death and Here's a couple of examples of physical death. Jehoram, who was a king in Israel, he was 32 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem. And then listen to these words. And you don't really want this to be said about you. okay? And he departed with no one's regret. You kind of hope somebody regrets. He departed with no one's regret. They buried him in the city of David but not in the tomb of the kings. So here's a guy that, you know, he passed away and it's like, good riddance. I'm glad he's gone. But then you come to a passage like Deuteronomy 3, 4, and 5 where it talks about Moses. It says, so Moses, the servant of the Lord, died in the land of Moab. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His, eyes, his eye was undimmed and his vigor, vigor unabated. Man, that's a good testimony, isn't it? He died and he could see well. He died and he had energy even in his death. That's the physical death. But there's also a spiritual death. Ephesians 2, 1 and 2 says, And you were dead in the trespasses, or in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. So Paul describes this physical or this spiritual death that exists for those who are still in their sin and apart from Christ. Peter wrote, For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the Spirit the way God does. And so Peter makes this distinction between physical death and spiritual death. And although we can be alive physically, we can walk in here and check our pulse and figure those things out, there is still the question of, are we alive spiritually? Do we have life spiritually? And which one is more real? As we celebrate Easter, I want to ask the question, is there a pulse? And we're going to move through this pretty quickly this morning. Is there a pulse? First thing, is there a pulse at the cross. In Luke chapter 23, we'll just start at verse 23. Luke 23, 20, or yeah, 23, 32, I'm sorry, verse 32. 
two others, and we know that it talks about Jesus going to the cross, two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right, one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Was Jesus looking at the criminals on each side? Not necessarily. There's a whole crowd of people. And they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. Almost with this sneer in their voice and in their demeanor. If you are king of the Jews, save yourself. Because there was an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals who, who were hanged railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for, our, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, or the wages that we deserve. It's the, the idea of getting what you deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Man, what a tremendous statement. Is Jesus allowed to do that from the cross? And really, what effect does that have? If Jesus is dying right alongside a criminal and says that, today, I'm going to promise you something from this cross. Is Jesus a reliable source of help? From that point, we get to, we get to ask that question. Then in verse 44, it says this. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed or was obscured, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. It was from top to bottom, if you read one of the other accounts, it was split. The, the Greek word is schizo. And, it, and it's that idea of being divided. And it was split from top to bottom. And then Jesus, calling out in a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus had been physically alive. To that point, if you were to check his pulse, he'd have a pulse just like you and I do. He had been beaten, he was bruised, he, but he was alive. Yet at this point, this utterance, the Father now into your hands I commit my spirit, is the idea that he is no longer alive. If you were to check him, he would no longer have a pulse. John 19, 31-34 says this, Since it was the day of preparation so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken so that they may be taken away. And so the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first, the criminal, and of the other who had been crucified with him. So soldiers came by, broke the legs, which meant they could no longer support their frame to be able to breathe. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. 
But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. And if you move to the next verse, it says that that soldier gave personal testimony that Jesus was dead. There was no pulse. Wayne read the passage out of Philippians. Philippians 2 and verse 8 says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. See, Jesus' death was physical. But there's also a spiritual element to it that, that honestly, I don't get it. I don't get it completely. I don't understand it. How Jesus could take my sin and your sin, place it on a guy on a cross over 2,000 years ago, and it be applied to me. I don't get it. I don't have to understand everything that God does to have faith in a God that's big enough to save me. God placed my sin and your sin on Him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, "For For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. My sin was placed on Jesus. Your sin was placed on Jesus. And I think that's why Jesus could exclaim from the cross, Father, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was sin. He represented the sin of us, and a holy God cannot be in the presence of sin. So there's a separation that took place, a separation that you deserved and that I deserved. He took the punishment, made the payment, and received the wages of sin, that which we deserved. So was there a pulse at the cross? There was, and then there wasn't. Second thing, is there a pulse in the tomb? Is there a pulse in the tomb? John 19, 38 through 40 says, After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission, so he came and took away his body. Nicodemus, you remember Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. Now I want you to catch that, 75 pounds of weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it, bound the body in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. So, so it's not a real easy task. Jesus is dead. They take him off the cross, realize, realizing that his body is broken, beaten, scourged, messy. They take 75 pounds of of ointment and wrap his body and put him into that tomb, that borrowed tomb where he lays. There's no pulse in the tomb. The only pulse that was probably racing at that point was the pulse of the disciples trying to figure out what in the world are we going to do next? Our leader is gone. He's He's not around, and we can't turn around and say, Jesus, what about this? Jesus, I don't understand this. And although Jesus had told them this was going to happen, doesn't it kind of leave you questioning in the middle of it? Why? It's the same question we ask when somebody else dies a physical death. Especially if we don't understand it. If we expected something different, we ask the question, why? And so why wouldn't the disciples ask that? 
Their world had been rocked. We're conditioned to look for life. We look for it and we try to figure out how to handle life beyond what is apparently clear in the physical realm. The meta-narrative of Scripture, the big picture of Scripture, is that Jesus' death and burial was part of God's plan. John 3.16, which is a familiar passage, says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life or everlasting life. God desires relationship with you and me. So where's the hope? Third part, third thing, is there a pulse with the resurrection? Is there a pulse with the resurrection? Luke 24 says, But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. So they're ready to do some more work on the body of Jesus, on that that wrapped body. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, and as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, which would be fairly normal if you walked into a tomb and saw two really bright guys sitting there. Check it out. We've got a, we've got a cemetery over here. You walk over there and see two brightly lit guys? going to shock you i'd say it'd probably do a few other things to you too it would certainly be unexpected and so they asked these men asked why do you seek the living among the dead and or they he asked they asked that and then they followed up with the phrase that's on the cover of your bulletin right he's not here but he's risen Why do you seek the living among the dead? If we go out there, there's nobody living out there. I was out there the other day. I didn't see anybody living. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. They remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Jesus was dead, and now he's alive. That ought to get us excited, right? He's alive. The resurrection of Jesus distinguishes him from every other religious leader throughout all of history. You can go to other people's tombs, but you go to Jesus and it's empty. There's nobody there. Jesus is alive. There is a pulse again. Jesus has a pulse. And skeptics may question whether the resurrection is real, but if you have the witness of hostiles, like the guard said, he's dead. Then you put a Roman guard in front of this tomb and you seal it and, and they proclaim, He's not here, he's alive, or something happened, he's not here. Hostile witnesses said that the tomb is empty. 
the disciples followed and gave up their lives because the tomb was empty and knew that he was alive. And then he appeared to over 500 people. It's a pretty good witness group, isn't it? Like, you, you can proclaim that I'm alive, right? Be okay with y'all? And yet there were 500 plus that said Jesus was. And we find in these biblical accounts this, this idea that God values relationship over religion. The Pharisees, in their dutiful attendance, they'd show up at church. They were really good about it. Really good about obedience. But they didn't have a relationship with God. Some of them probably did, but a lot of them put religion over relationship. Sadducees didn't believe in resurrection and remained skeptical. And even some of us, we look to ourselves to try and figure out how we can tip the scales in our favor so that we could be right with God. You probably heard people say, I'm okay with God or I'm right with God. I think it'll work out in the end. We can't tip the scales on our own. We don't have the ability to tip the scales on our own. Scripture teaches us that the wages of sin is death, so I'm responsible for every sin that I've ever done. And so I can't tip the scales in the, on the good side to outweigh one sin on the bad side and think I will make it into heaven, to think I can start a relationship with God. It comes only through the blood of Christ. And so I want to ask you a question. Last question. Is there a pulse in you? I told you we'd check the physical pulse. I want to make sure you're still alive. So would you check that one more time? Everybody okay? Anybody not okay? All right, just Isaac. There's always one. Yeah, physically we're alive, but are we alive spiritually? Acts 17, which is an interesting passage. It's not really a resurrection kind of passage, but Acts 17 has a testimony. Paul is there starting at verse 20, and so we understand a little bit of the background. It says, for you bring some strange thing to our ears. So he's in the city and talking with some guys. He'd been doing some teaching, and they... They talk to him and say, this is what we see. And Paul says, this is what I see. So they said, for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all of the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. That's an interesting way to spend your time, right? Just to converse back and forth. Hey, tell me something new. What's new? That was kind of the common thing every single day. What's new? They were learners. And then Paul responds to them. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive in every way you are very religious. They had the religious part down. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, I proclaim to you what is known. I grew up religious. 
I grew up in a Catholic home. My mom took us to, to church all the time. I mean, at least it, as a kid, it seemed like all the time. And so I went to Mass on Sunday morning, and I went to Mass when there were special days, and I, I did all of that. And I moved away to college, and it really didn't make a whole lot of difference to me. Whether I went or didn't go, it didn't, didn't matter. But I was religious, and I knew all the religious answers. And the primary question that was asked of me when I was on the job with a, with a friend of mine, he asked me this, he said, do you know where you will go if you, if you die at the end of this day? Do you know where you'll go? Where will you spend eternity? And I didn't really have a really good answer. I, I gave him the answer that was normal for me. I think I can tip the scales, my favor. And he said, it doesn't work like that. He said, where, where do you place your trust? And, and I said, I place my trust in me. And he said, well, that's, that's likely not good enough because you sin and God is holy and even one sin will separate you from God. So do you think there's something else that maybe you need to do? And so he explained to me this idea of having a pulse physically and, and not having a spiritual pulse, being dead in my trespasses being dead in my sin. There was a point at which I realized that I had a need that I couldn't fulfill. And I needed to trust somebody outside of myself to bridge that gap. And so in April of 1980, I prayed in a driveway alongside my friend to receive Jesus as my Savior. And it took me from being physically alive and still physically alive, but from spiritually dead to being spiritually alive. Scripture describes it as being a new creature in Christ. I realized the Holy Spirit now lived inside me, and I didn't have to earn my way to heaven, but I could trust God, what He said in His Word. And so my response was one to an invitation that God provided for me. And so I want to ask you, You've taken your physical pulse. If we took your spiritual pulse, would you be alive? If you checked your spiritual pulse, have you done the same thing like I did in that, on that April night in 1980? Have you given your life to Christ? Scripture is clear that we can know that we have a spiritual pulse. 1 John 5.13, I've written these things that you may believe. Know that you believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. What are the evidences? Very quickly, a right belief about, right belief about God. Belief about Jesus' identity and to trust Him by faith. Second thing, a love for others. You love coming to the community of God. Thirdly, an obedience to God's Word. Conviction by the Holy Spirit, repentance, turning away from sin, longing to know God through prayer and, and reading His Word, and really just a surrender of self-will for God's will. Are you spiritually alive? Do you know Him as Savior? I mean, it's a big question because when we celebrate Easter, this day can be just one of those holidays which seems pretty nice at the 
a nice story and a ring to it and comes with pastel colors and all those kind of things. A cultural, cultural occasion to gather as families. Or it can mark the victory, God's victory in your life. You can do one of two things. Jesus declared that he's the resurrection and the life and he gives us, gives us the opportunity to trust him. So where do you place your faith? Are you alive? So today is a great day to place your faith in Christ. And if you don't know Him, I invite you to know Him. Some in this room may say, relationship with God is not great. And that requires repentance. Leonard Ravenhill makes this statement. And it's a pretty bold statement. He says, we must alter the altar. A-L-T-E-R to A-L-T-A-R. For the altar, this place is a place to die on. See, the call from Jesus is a call to surrender our life to Him. Ravenhill says, let those who will not pay this price leave it alone. Make a mockery of the altar. But the invitation is to come and surrender your life to Him. And experience the life and the hope that comes through the resurrection. Man, it's tremendous. Man, it's glorious. And if you don't have it, you don't know it. You don't know how good it is. But I want to invite you this morning to experience all that there is in the hope of the resurrection. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church. We welcome you to join us next Sunday at 1030 a.m. for our weekly worship service. If you have found this resource helpful, please do share it with others and check out our other ministries at ebcconnect.org.